0: people have kind of come out of the woodwork and realized, you know what, I can do this. And they realize that you don't have to be a professor in in something. You can be an ordinary citizen. And if you see a pink elephant flying around your back garden and you want to do some sort of conservation for that pink elephant, who's to say you can't? And that's the whole crux of the project.
1: Hello, I'm Cahill Summers.
2: And I'm Gergit Lehn,
1: your Chagas Sustainability Advisors, and you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 57, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Have you a barn owl on your farm and are you aware of the huge contribution they make to controlling roads?
2: The founder of the Barn Owl Project set up in 2019, John Carrick, joins us for a bit of an owl chat in part one of this two-part episode. John, you're very welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thanks for the invite.
2: Um, You and your colleagues are doing some fantastic work on the ground. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the Barn Owl Project?
0: Yeah um, I suppose in around 2018 uh, I I was involved at that stage I think for about three years and studying Perkman Falcons and um, on top of that I suppose I was a very keen interest in wildlife photography. Um, You know I'd, I'd work with some of my friends, This was in National Parks and Wildlife, providing footage and stuff for them for different publications, uh, particularly Dr. Barry O'Donohue for the Raptor Protocol and stuff like that. And um, I don't know, I just got into a conversation one time with one of the guys, and he said, is there any wild animal you have never uh, got a picture of? And the barn owl came up in conversation. Um, and at that stage I, I kind of finished up with the Perum falcons and I, I suppose my passion would have been for falcons, but it was kind of one of those things that it's a bird you can't really help it, you know it's it's fly by and give you the middle feather and it there's it, no kind of no interest in 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 your help um and I had looked into the numerous you know like putting up nest sites from big buildings and stuff in the cities and all this kind of stuff but anyways i suppose uh Make a, a long story short, I got talking to someone in National Parks and Wildlife, and that was the question that was posed to me. And when I said uh, a barn owl, um, I suppose that just came into my head like how much trouble they in. So I went away and looked at the different publications and stuff, and um, I ended up anyway talking to uh, our friends in the UK, which is the, the Barn Trust, and um, got a small bit of training from them. And I suppose I just the interest took off from there. Um, so uh, I started out by, I suppose, making a few nest boxes, um, working with some local farmers, that uh, people I would have grown up with and stuff like that, and, and putting up nest boxes. And eventually I ended up meeting like-minded people. So uh, at that stage, I had a name for the project. I was working with a girl from Brazil at the time who was um, involved in falconry. Uh, she, she had been... She basically traveled the world and she'd been involved in conservation projects. And um, that was kind of the founding of it. I ended up then, I think, after knocking on a farmer's door one day, she, it was a, a woman called Claire Burke um, said to me, well, you're the second person to call to my door uh, in the last two weeks about Barnold, so you need to go down the road and talk to Danny. He's down the road and uh, we will have a chat. So that was kind of foundational. I met Danny um, and, and said, look, I've set up this project, I'm looking for like-minded people. And we ended up running our first big project there in a place called Bally which who is a dairy farm, 600 acres, met the farmer, the person that was renting the land, um, and we ended up running the project. I think we put up eight nest boxes. Um, there was information on that site going back over 150 years, and there'd been no barn owls there. So uh, we put an awful lot of work into it with the farmer, with Claire herself, and we had success. And that kind of pushed us on then to see could we go for more sites. So we ended up... Um, I think in the first year, it doesn't sound great for the environment, but we traveled uh, in the in the West Farland 60,000 kilometers uh, in one year, and we met over 240 farmers and never had one single farmer say, no, he wasn't interested. Some of them would say to you, what's that you're talking about? You know, they 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 didn't, had never seen, so we'd always use the antidote of like, you know, Friday evening, you're looking at Late Late Show, that bird that flies across the screen, that's a Barnald, and once you... I know myself, but once you kind of got people involved, um, they, they took ownership of it on their own property and they took off from there. Um, so we kind of pushed, just kind of pushed on from there. Um, you know, like uh, I suppose over the last uh, three years, uh, you know, we've we've got to meet all sorts of people, um, everyday people. We've given hundreds of talks, community talks, farming groups, schools, in, even down to I suppose. Part for inclusion policy would be like special needs schools, nursing homes, anything, anybody we could talk to about it. That we've, it, it didn't matter whether it had an impact on the on the project. It was just about letting people see. Um, and I think the big thing for us was maybe uh, like about a year and a half ago we were we were doing a bit of training again with the Barn Trust and trying to be certified in some of the stuff we were doing. And they mentioned, would you get an owl? We said, no. I'm kind of against keeping. They're not pets. They're not. I, I don't like see animals in a cage and uh, all this kind of stuff. But I think I remember uh, one of the guys saying, "Like you're going giving school talks. What happens when you talk to young kids?" And, and to be honest, yeah, like uh, they lose interest after about five minutes. Um, you know, so I think the, I was over, I was out for on that occasion, and we decided to apply for license. So the owl we would have got was was a captive bred owl. Um, it was never, you know, going to be released. We got her. I think she was about five five weeks old or something like that. Um so Ali, the girl who was involved at the time, ended up carrying her around in a little like little nests, showing her to everybody as a kind of to get her imprinted and stuff. And since that has happened, no matter what talk we go to, we mention, like we're come along, you're gonna meet the guys and you're gonna meet Aaron, who's our owl, they turn up. They don't care about listening yeah. to yeah. us. They don't care about yeah. what we have to say, but they want to see what an owl looks like. And the 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 impact is has been massive for us where we're, we're like, I'm probably depending on the time of the year. Um, but you're you know, you're probably getting five six emails a day, people looking for talks, you're you know, you're, you're reporting in information and stuff. And at this time of the year, I suppose it's different, we're getting the rescue stuff, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just driven on from there. So, you know, we've, we've different people doing different things in the project now. We've eight board members who all form a function, they all have a say in the project and what way we go. We're not a charity. We don't even look for funding from government funding and stuff because we we we're trying to set it out for volunteers and stuff. Eventually, maybe that might be the route we take. But um, yeah, so the, I suppose the 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 way it's set out would be that we're we work with the farming community and and tidy towns groups and stuff to try promote wildlife in their area, not just barn owls, but primarily barn owls. Um, then after that, we've we've a nesting box project going. We have rodenticide or rat poison um, kind of campaign and how we can make a difference with that. And then we have the community uh, involvement. So we're trying to get ordinary people, um, I suppose, to take on board some projects. It's not necessarily barn owls, but it's some wildlife project that they feel they can make a difference on. And that's kind of, I suppose, the crux of the whole project.
2: John, do you think, was there much of an awareness um, among farmers and um, about, you you know, about, owls or habitats?
0: I would say not as much as you think. Uh, there's some, don't get me wrong, there's some, before we came along, I uh, suppose the idea of the project, first of all, was to set up something that deals solely, we, like, we bought Barnold's up there on top. So we look the call comes in, we deal with it, and that's it. And we do everything to do with Barnold. So rescue, rehabilitation, release. We do soft release. We have an amazing soft release manager. Um so we do everything to do with Barnolds. And we didn't see that kind of happening. There was loads of different bits and pieces. So Birdwatch Ireland have done some amazing work over the years with Barnolds. Um but I suppose they deal with all the birds and uh, it, 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 it because we were volunteers but it, it allowed us to do a lot more i suppose visiting people so um i can remember in the early days i met some amazing characters at the very start like like you wouldn't believe some of the people i have met and they're i'm talking about people that are probably some of my best friends now um and um you know you you, you i can remember call you cold call people you'd I'd be driving down the road i'd see an old castle and i'd say there's a spot for a barn out. In knocking the door and start talking to someone, and you end up there being there for hours. Um, so, I some we've some amazing stories that way. So, I I don't believe that much awareness is out there. Um, you know, it is getting there now. Like I suppose the whole Barno, um project things, whether it was it, it's coming through other groups or to us, there's been a massive I suppose explosion of interest in the last two years, which is brilliant to see. Um, and the more people that are involved, the better. And that doesn't, I would include that, like, you know, long-eared owls and uh, all sorts of, we try, we try kind of cover everything. So when we do give a talk in a school, we don't just stick, like, I'll throw up photographs that I've taken of, like, there's pine marten squirrels. I'll just throw them into the mix and we'll talk about problems they're facing the same as the owls is facing. Um, we try and kind of cover the gambit of everything that could be on a farm that's useful to a farmer. Um, some of the stuff. Sometimes you might get a negative response on the like the pine martin or whatever. But we try, try and kind of explain it in a certain way that like, look guys, you you know you're having to use poison, but like, on top of that, I suppose the, the pine martin is going to do that job for you as well. Right. He is an asset. He is part of the whole cycle of life that's in in wildlife and stuff. Um, so I suppose yeah, it, it definitely. I think at, when we started out, no, I don't believe it was people who were that aware. Um, Now, I believe the awareness has gone up like, you know, three, fourfold. Uh, I'm not saying that's us. It's definitely not us. It's everyone seems to have kind of stepped their game up. More people have kind of come out of the woodwork and realized, you know what? Uh, I can do this. Um, And they realize that you don't have to be a professor in in something. You can be an ordinary citizen. And if you see a pink elephant flying around your back garden and you want to do some sort of conservation for that pink elephant, Who's to say you can't? And that's the whole crux of the project, you know?
2: It's a great attitude.
1: Yeah. There's loads of work. It's clear you're doing a huge amount of work and other people across country. But going back to the actual Barnall itself, what's the fascination? Like, I suppose, what's the importance of having them in the countryside?
0: Yeah. Um, I suppose the fascination in, in Ireland with Barnalls, when you talk to people, really is the history, the. I suppose the banshee, the the screech uh, and mm. stuff like that. Um, and they're like I suppose people look at them and think like, oh my god, they're a beautiful bird. And to be honest, like they're 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 a dirty little bugger. Like the, if you try to crawl through and put a chick back into a nest or a juvenile back into the nest, um, <laughs> you won't be long realizing that they're not as clean as people think they are. But every time we go somewhere we have air with us, they're like, oh my god, she's so soft, she's so white, she's so clean, you know. Um, but I think the the history, the kind of folklore behind it, um. That banshee, you can imagine, you know, like if you maybe in the 50s coming home from the pub and deciding you're taking a shortcut through the field and you hear this screeching coming. Like, I can tell you, myself and Danny were out last year. um in in south tip and we were doing a night nice survey at about two o'clock in the morning believe it or not where it's a site we know there's owls, but you want to know there's chicks there and it's it's a, a non, it's it's a way you don't disturb the site but you can stand outside of the castle or the building you can hear them calling so we decided um we basically decided we were down there listening we said oh this is brilliant we can hear them so taking the book go on to the next site and the female came in and let a big shriek out of her and even though we knew what it was it terrified me it went through me for a shortcut and uh danny was the same it was like oh my god uh, i'm sorry we didn't re- get a get a recording of it um you know and then i suppose just th- 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 what would show you the kind of community that w- we have built would be that i think we were heading out of that field um and i got my phone went and i was like this is two o'clock in the morning it turned out to be one of these guys i've told about that i visited his site he lives in another castle actually lives in the castle mm-hmm. rang me and said you told me to ring you anytime there's a barn owl on the ground. He's down on the ground outside the house. You told me any time. <laughs> so I was coming back from, he said, I'm coming back from doing something with the cattle and he's there. So we ended up heading down to, uh, I think it was East Galway um, to, to climb a ladder to put the owl back. So this is the kind of, is a, there is a kind of great ownership and community thing there. But I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the kind of, it's just, the, it's it's the mystique. It's the the history. It's the fact that a lot of people haven't seen them but yet, you know, you can go onto a, a farmer's site and say, "Look, I'm here, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. You've an old building, or you've trees around the site. Could I have a look and see if there are barn They tell you they're not there, and the amazement in their face when you come back and say, "Oh no, you have barn on the site." Um, you know, they, they, tell you they haven't heard them or they haven't seen them. You know, and I think, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. I think, I think, I think people, uh, you know, they, 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 they think about the Banshee. They think about. Uh, the history of it and that seems to be not just ireland but um i know we've talked to some of our counterparts in in different countries ali we talked to the guys in brazil um i think they call them church owls in brazil and the the kind of history behind them in some of the african countries Mm -hmm. as well they call them ghost owls and they think they're a bad omen it just seems to be something that's you know, kind of gone through history in in different societies. But, yeah, I think it's it, that's really what it is, you
1: know. It's funny you mentioned Late Late Show. Uh, we're programmed to see the Barn Owl every Friday evening uh, on the Late Late Show. And you're from a photography background. Uh, I'd say your head must be wrecked trying to get a picture of the Barn Owl because I'm sick of looking at people on Twitter putting up lovely pictures of Barn Owls. And all I see is a little white flash going down the lane and never get a proper look at
0: one. Yeah, it the problem I suppose we have with Barnolds in Ireland is that we don't get them out in daylight hours in Ireland. So most of the footage and stuff you see would be. It's easy for me. I have an owl, so I can I can you know get her out and say Erin, here and here come get a picture. You know I can make it look like she doesn't got ha- hasn't got her little leggings on her and stuff. But th- we don't get them out in daylight hours in Ireland. And if you got a phone call to tell you you've an owl out in Ireland, um, we would nearly always say it's sick. Um, and I suppose the part of the reason that you don't get them out would be maybe. We never, we didn't have as many prey items for them it to be out. And if they're out in daylight, you will find that they're harassed and chased after by every little bird in the place, big birds, small birds. We had an interesting one last year, where a farmer sent us on footage of he was driving the cows down through the through the farm, and we boxed up on the farm. Now he was a good, I don't know, he was 100 metres away from the box, not a big deal, but um, he just heard a noise and he turned around and it was a raven chasing the barn owl. Oh, and he pulled out his phone and it doubled back. So he managed to get footage of it. And the raven caught the barn owl and dragged it onto the ground. Um, now The barn owl just got back up again and went into one of the boxes. Um, but that just kind of highlighted for us that that I suppose that's part of the reason in Ireland we don't have it. Mm. Um, we are getting more daylight prey in Ireland. So we have obviously a, a couple of invasive species at the minute. Um, we have the greater white through the true, which is amazing news for the barn owl because they, they're spreading like wildfire. I think initially... They were found in Tipperary in the 90s. Um, someone had brought them in accidentally. And the way, the way they were found was by checking the owl pellet. So for anyone, I suppose, that doesn't know what a pellet is, the owl will eat a mouse or a shrew whole, so head first down, and then it digests everything it can digest. Somic acid is weak, so it can't digest the fur or the bones. And once or twice a day, it'll regurgitate a pellet. And it looks like about the size of your thumb and black in shape. And if you break that open, the black part is the fur, and inside you'll have all the bones of the small mammal that's eaten. So when someone checked those pellets in Tipperary, they found there was something unusual, and they went to have a look and see what that was, And I suppose, in the books and stuff, and it turned out to be a greater white-toothed shrew. Now, we have a pygmy shrew in Ireland. That was in Tipperary. I believe there's very little signs of pygmy shrews left in Tipperary now at the minute because the greater white-toothed shrews taken over, and they don't know why. Why that is? Is it carrying some virus like the 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 grey squirrel and the red squirrel? Um, is it out competing them or, or what the, the scenario is there? They don't really know. It's still being investigated. Um, but it's been amazing news for the owl. Like you can, any site that we want to know that there's, it's it spread. As far as I'm concerned, I suppose it, it, that I'm aware of the Greater White Tooth Shoes in most counties in Ireland. But anywhere you can follow the path to the Greater White Tooth shoe um into any county and the barn numbers are increasing all the time but it's again it's having a negative impact on the pygmy shrew but um another thing you know is if you go onto to a site you get the smell there's this smell of the greater white toothed shrew it's like a musty smell of it stink and if you're if you go onto a site i know if i go onto a site i've often come home when i've been told get out the back i nearly have to strip off from my back garden and power hose myself down because i can <laughs> get on your clothes and it's quite <laughs> but you know, it, it's kind of, we also have the bank fold that was brought in the 20s, not spreading as fast as, the, you know, but these are two extra, I suppose, prey items that the, the barn owl has um, in Ireland. It, it, it is kind of driving on the numbers to build the whole time.
2: Should we be reporting sightings, John? And then how yeah. do you record how many barn owls hours, barn hours there are in the country or owl population?
0: Yeah, so I, I suppose there's a number of ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, what you could do is so generally we have a reporting system on our our, our um, website. So what generally what we would do is uh, if it's reporting to us and it comes from, you know, like uh, Loud, we report to the guys up there who are run their own group. Um, uh, if be up to Loud, you know, like we'd say if if it's down in any of the other. Areas that we know there's groups working, we report it into those guys. They their hands on the ground there. And um, the other way of reporting it would be to Birdwatch Ireland. So Birdwatch Ireland have a site there that you would report into them, um, and they will try track numbers throughout the country and stuff. So either or, uh, it, it I suppose it doesn't really matter. It's just a good way of kind of calculate numbers. Do we know the numbers of barn in Ireland? No. It's I mean, if I was to say, in if I take uh, Galway when we started the project, I think there was nine uh, recorded nesting pairs in Galway. I think shortly after we put in the work there, we were probably up to about 60, and at the minute we're probably about 70 or 80 um, sites. So is that down to the work we're doing? No, it's not. It's down to discovery and talking to people and, um, you know, like, uh, I suppose, boots on the ground, knocking on doors. People like that kind of you know, you'd often go onto a farm and a person would say to you, What are you here for? And you tell them, Like, I'm dealing with Barnold's and this is who I am and you can check me out and um and they're kinda of looking at you at the side eye. And then when they trust you they say, Look, I have I had one gentleman, and he said, I'm thirty years I have them here. And I said, Where are they? It was, turns out it's the same gentleman that runs the castle <laughs> that I was telling you about earlier on, but he goes, at thirty years I have Barnold's here, he said, Never told anyone that now, he said. And I said, Oh yeah, I just seen the castle, I thought it might be in it. And I said, Where are? They? And he pointed up to the door that he walks in and out. like So he lives in the castle and he walks in and out this door every day. And he said, see that hole? He said, they're in there. And I said, like, Jesus, I don't think there would be owls in there. I said, can I put a camera there? I haven't seen them now in two years, but you can bet your your life they're still there. So I stuck in the camera, came back the next day when I was passing by and pulled the camera. And sure enough, they were coming in and out. <laughs> so they, they were well used to each other at that stage. Yeah, so it's, it's just one of those things. But I would advise anybody, like, you know, even if there is the big thing where people don't want to report stuff or they don't want to get involved because they don't want to drag people onto their property you know like the, you always get people saying stuff to you like i don't want people i don't know coming in whether that's national parks and wildlife the department we're totally separate of that and, and um any of the groups that in, involve in wildlife for they, they won't just come onto your property you you build a relationship you get my number i get your number if i'm coming onto your property i'll ring you and say how are you joe i'm coming up that way today do you mind if i pop in for a look and you want to come with me and you'll have a chat and you you form a relationship and as i said quite often you know um i could tell i could tell you like at least out of the 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 kind of sites i'm heavily involved in i probably have about 20 people that at least once a month would ring me to tell me everything is okay (laughs) it's like they're taking ownership of what's going on in their property and Instead of me having to call, they'll, they'll send you a WhatsApp and say, I heard this last night. You think that's the chicks? Or "I've I, here's a video, this lad landed on my line, or this happened. And it's, it goes on all the time. So it's a good community thing um, for people to get involved in, you know.
1: Listen in next time for part two to hear how farmers can help encourage owls onto their farms.
2: That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to John Carrick founder of the Barn Owl Project, for joining us on the show.
1: Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers.
2: And I'm Gergit Len.
1: Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to Farm Sustainability.